sank the dark clouds deeper and ran the wild moon hunting alive with fur and feather as omen apparition we left the moon suspended and leapt back onto the ground Welcome to the Antipode and Arts podcast. This is a, a non-canon episode, so this has no number. We'll call it something like special episode. Um, so this is our first one of these. And I'm and before we get into it, I just want to, as I always do and as we always do, take this moment to remember that we, uh, most of us listening to this uh, podcast will be on unceded occupied territory of sovereign nations. So I invite you all to take a breath and to be breathed by the land and to remember and honor that that most of us living in South America, Central America, North America, Australia, Aotearoa, um, many parts of Asia, um, Africa even, are on occupied land. And, uh, and remind us to bring our attention to colonialism and its impacts, and but also the strength and survival of Aboriginal, Indigenous and First Nations communities and their constant inspiring political activism, relating spirituality, ceremony, science, education, and the gifts of that ancient, ancient, ever-renewing uh, way of kinship that seems to permeate all Indigenous ways of knowing. So I invite us to recall that and to Remember to walk lightly and to <sighs> lean into the mystery a little more. <sighs> okay, without further ado, I have my lovely friend Wendy Rule as a, as a guest on this show, which is super exciting because we have your Wolf Sky as the entry to our podcast. So every people who are listening to this podcast always hear you as they come in. <laughs> <laughs> So and so and so here you are. Well, it's a, it's a true it's a true pleasure, and yeah, I was absolutely stoked when you asked me about um, using the Wolf Sky. Yeah, so it was like a great honor. It's still one of my my favorite songs of yours. Um, I first saw you live. I remember this. I was remembering this as I was falling asleep last night at the 2003 Pagan Pride Day Festival in Brisbane in King George Square, in the middle yeah. of the city. Um, and I think you just released Lotus Eaters potentially. Yeah, I had, yeah. 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 So that was released end of 2001 or so, so uh -huh. it's probably about a year old, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I, that was my, that was actually my introduction to your, to your music. I had not oh, no, heard. It was, 2000 and, heard. it was just before I, I released Lotus Eaters, I think, yeah, or oh, around awesome. about that time, yeah. 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 And yeah. so what... Wendy, like this, most people I know know you in the pagan and witchcraft world, but to those who who don't know you yet, like what what can you say about your music, your magic, your vocation? Okay, well, um, I guess the thread, the common thread that runs through all of my albums, and they all have very different textures. Each one is kind of cinematic in a way. It sort of tells its own story. But I think that the constant thread is a genuine honouring of the gifts of darkness and creating space for honouring the underworld, the energies of the crone. And, you know, I guess drawing from my own personal experiences of going through underworld journeys, as we all do, but as a Scorpio, I probably uh, 
you know, have a greater affinity with that realm than, than many others. And so I kind of feel that um, part of my job as a witch, as a musician, as a human, as an earthling, is to um, remind people of the sacred qualities of the darkness and um, remove some of the the stigma attached attached to that um, when so much of our uh, so much of the past, uh, especially under the Christian Church, has been about honouring the light, and now we're seeing that whole thing come up again. This light, 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 and just kind of reminding people that yes, like all of nature, there's light and there's dark, and each are equal, like yin and yang. I mean, it's a really central basic understanding that many people tend to forget that it's very appropriate to journey in the underworld and it's equally appropriate to come back out of that and so my work in honoring the underworld through my music my magic um, my writings is not only about just a kind of gothic fascination which I do have with the beauty of darkness but also um also a reminder that it too is part of a cycle and it's equally important to emerge out of the underworld as well as it is to, to find our place within it. Mm, yeah. that's, that's really eloquently put and I can feel the, the substance in what you're saying. I too have some strong Scorpio placements. Um, mm-hmm. I, have, I have a moon in Scorpio and for my whole life I felt that uh, that that like part of my work too is to try to and sometimes just passionately enthusiastically kind of almost <laughs> preach a little i get preachy about it i must admit but just this this resacralization of the darkness and this and this and this reorientation to the profundity and primordialness of the underworld as as so relevant to all of our lives mm. and and this year, you know, this calendar year, this Gregorian year has just been so, you know, to be blunt, fucked and, and not in any good way, really. And, no. and, and so, you know, many of us have collectively, I think, been or parts of us have collectively been completely yanked into yes. some form of underworld. But I'm wondering, like, how do we how can we shift as spirit workers, as artists, as witches, and potentially as people who are like, what the fuck do I do? How can we shift that into a place of fertility, into a place of um, healing and, and reparations and into a place of, you know, the, what I feel eventually becomes the elixir of underworld work, which is radical accountability and, and, and deep mm-hmm. sovereignty. Like, do yes. you, do you how do we do that? <laughs> Well, first of all, I think that um, we're expecting a lot of ourselves. That's all people, but specifically musicians and, and artists and magicians and workers with energy. We're expecting a lot to think that we can come up with that answer now when we're in the thick of it. What we're trying to do now, um, you know, it's it's a it's like being in the middle of a storm-tossed ocean and trying to think what's the best way of approaching this? Well, it's just a freaking swim and keep your head above water is really what we're, what yeah. we're in the world now. It's like, I kind of equate it to the tower card in the tower. Totally. We're just, we're the ones falling from the tower now. The rug has been pulled out from under each and every one of us in some way. And 
you know, at the beginning of COVID, it was for me anyway, it's like, ooh, home time, how lovely, and la-da-da, and I'll do some gardening, and I'll do some sewing, and it'll be so creative, and wow, and now it's just like, get me on an aeroplane to somewhere else, please, you know, I want to, all the things that I identify with myself, my journeying, and my exploration, all that's gone, so we're left with this, there's a sense of being bereft for mm. a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And part of it, I think, is that we have to be patient and gentle and kind with ourselves. We're all wounded at the moment. Mother mm. Earth is wounded because it hasn't only been the pandemic this year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I was in Australia for the solstice, summer solstice last year. And, um, you know, with the bushfires, of course. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, the, you know, the years kind of so far, we're already in October, but it's kind of, you know, it was it started with this extremely traumatic experience, but then we've seen um, mirrored in the fires in California, um, and in a sense of upheaval that I believe, of course, is going to create positive change, like the Black Lives Matter movement um, and this totally fucked political situation in America, and um, so there's just this sense that everything is this boiling over this this extremely radical shake-up of the world. And so, yeah, I reckon for now it's a matter of um, do what you can on a daily basis to keep yourself sane and whole. Ritual is deeply important. I've, I've run, I just finished running the third of my positive magic courses, like a month-long journey around the moon, moon cycle, and I created a meditation for each day of the cycle. So I've done that three times. I started doing that for my, uh, you know, for my own needs because I knew that right now it's so easy to get lost in, in the whole chaos of it and then just numb ourselves. You know, of course I've been watching loads of movies and telly and all that kind of thing, but you can also get to the point where that becomes a shut-off. So I think for all of us who are into magic, just don't forget that we have the skills to bring ourselves back to centre. Yeah. Even if it's simple ritual, light a candle and mm-hmm. meditate for a few minutes but, and honour nature, just be out in nature, just do mm-hmm. what you can. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree with that. I, you know, there are parts of me, my my Aquarian rising brain, that's all like, what are we going to do? And then there's this, there's this inner kind of, honestly, a lot of people have, when, it, when my friends have been asking how I am, my answer is, hmm, weirdly, I feel spacious and calm. And, and I acknowledge, though, that I live in Brisbane. <laughs> I live in, and I live in a state where for weeks now, there has been no COVID cases reported and since and since the beginning of this pandemic this state has just been so well held actually um you know so i i feel i feel lucky and grateful every day when i wake up i i breathe that gratitude and 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 i also feel sorrow because i have so like you i have so many beloveds in various parts of the world and and who are not doing so well and exactly. I and I feel that, and I try to send that kind of um, I don't know. There's some solidity that I have access to right now that others don't. So I just try to emanate that as best as I can. Exactly. And, 
Yeah, and ever since this pandemic started, I was in Bali at the time and I had to come home early from, you know, the place that, as you know, is my home. So I was like, oh, this is awkward. Um, but I, you know, of course I did it. And um, it just, and it's been six months now. And, and I, and, you know, humans actually, we adapt um, much more swiftly on, on the inside than, than I think we remember that we do. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, I feel, I feel a little bit spacey even saying that, but, you know, listening to you, I, because I know you're in New Mexico and because I know you're in the United States, but you sound Australian. Like yeah. it, there's this beautiful thing for me because I'm so, I'm so often in the States and, and I, I'm transported into the States right now listening to you, but it also feels so calm to hear your accent. <laughs> um, that, so that's an interesting juxtaposition happening right now. Like what you, you moved to the States a while ago and, yeah. but you, but you have this beautiful relationship with the Southern continent. And, um, how is that in, in, in you as a, as an animal, as a, as a human being to have this, to be so stretched in a way, but to be so beautifully from the outside, beautifully dynamic between them? Yeah. Well, I first began touring internationally in 2001. So since then, I have never spent an an entire solar cycle in one hemisphere. I've been jumping Samhain instantly to Beltane, midsummer to midwinter in one aeroplane flight, you know. And so I had to find my peace with that. And I guess it really influenced my magic. I think that's why, well, also because I love her, but why I work with the moon so much because she unifies the planet when the moon's full She's full in the southern hemisphere and the northern hemisphere, yeah. etc. While when we're working with the solar festivals, which of course I work with and honour, they create the differences around our planet. It's midsummer in the southern hemisphere, it's midwinter in the northern hemisphere, etc. Yeah. Um, and so I just honour wherever I am. Yes. So I'll be jumping back and forth, you know. Um, but that's allowed me to develop a very interesting and unique and cohesive approach to magic and to remember that we are primarily of the earth, that our um, our traditions might hark from Europe, you know, mm-hmm. the kind of neo-pagan side of things are essentially European, but, well, we're Australian mm. and now I'm living in America. Mm. You know, it's we have to find a way that moves us beyond the um, limitations of what nature is showing in Merry England mm, and find mm-hmm. how does paganism resonate for me in rugged and beautiful New Mexico? How, mm. how can I find it in the heart of Melbourne? Mm. Um, how can I find that in Greece, wherever I happen to be? Mm. So it's coloured that. And I think it's actually been a bit of an education for other people too that um, I'll remind people. Uh, in all of my rituals, of course, I am honouring if I'm doing a, a public, you know, my full moon magic rituals, I'm always reminding people what season it is or what's going on for the opposite hemisphere. Yes. And it's like an awakening. For I know, I know. <laughs> it's really <laughs> interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know what, Theo, this year I thought I, this will be my first year since 2001 Wow. I won't have stepped foot in Australia and then of course um my dad got really Mm. sick and even though he's he seems well now he's been diagnosed with a serious illness and I've just Mm. got to get back there and so 
It's like the universe has gone, no, you will go to Australia every year, mm. lady. Mm. <laughs> and that's that. So, you know, so I'm, I'll be back in, um, I'll be back at the end of November and then do the stupid quarantine thing. Oh, my God. I do not envy you. <laughs> that's, well, I, that's, no. That sounds rough. It'll be all right. I mean, I like, I like, to, um, I like to be a hermit. I love time by myself. In a hotel? <laughs> uh, if I could get an open window, it would be good. But I can deal with it. I can okay. deal with it. I yeah. can always entertain myself. I, yeah. I, I, never bore, I never bore myself. I've seen two of my friends, well, my sister went through the quarantine thing. She had to get back from the Emirates. And then my friend Fiona Horn went through the mm. quarantine thing when she came back from Australia. And so I've kind of been witnessed and, you know, I've got some pointers from them too. I've already got mm. my oil burner ready to pack and my mm. lavender oil. And it's like, how can I make this, how can I make this work for me? And I will. And I'm sure there'll be days that just feel crapo, but yeah. I'll also really relish having a good stretch of time to myself just to write. And I'll, I think I'll do some live streaming from the hotel mm. and that kind of thing. Got to make yeah. it work. What can you do otherwise? You know? Yeah, exactly. It's it's the it's the job of a witch to adapt to these circumstances, and it's the job of a human, really. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm so interested in your like your journey. I'm wondering if we can talk a bit about. You know, I don't want to be like. Oh, how do I put this question? You know, there's that old question: How did you come to magic? But that's not exactly what I mean. I kind of mean more like the last. You know, you said you started internationally touring in 2001. And you, and you kind of gave us a brief synopsis about how that has impacted your sense of, you know, your relationship with the moon as a ubiquitous unifier and the sun yeah. as a point of difference. But I'm also wondering, like, what's been going on with you in the past, like, 20, 19 years? And, yeah. and on a more personal level, you know, with whatever you're willing to share. And, like, sure. what, are, what are some of the things you've learned in the, in the past 20 years that are essential, that, that are alive in you right now? Um. Okay, well, adaptability is a really big one. Over that 20 years, of course, I was raising my son, so I'm in a, just a very different situation now than I was when I began that. Reuben was eight when we began touring together. And um, I guess I look back over that time and I see this um, initially rapid spreading of my wings because before then I'd been married for like 10 years or so. And so then I split off by myself and uh, began re-exploring. And so I had this new surge of almost like um, kind of page-like awakening of youthful energy in my early 30s where I just went, wow, there's this whole wide world out there. And then um, and have maintained that sense of wonder. I continue to. I continue to want to explore. I love that. I love exploring. Um, I've gone through many highs and many lows, challenges, um, uh, broken hearts, mending of those hearts. And then now I'm with Tim and we've been together since 2008. And, you know, that's a long time, definitely in my way of counting relationships it is. And, um, and that incredible level of growth that has come from a genuinely deep um, commitment to hang in there, to hang in there through the rough times. And there have been lots of rough times. So 
And the, I guess the common thread through that whole thing has been both my music and my magic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that hit something for me because I, you know, for me it was, you know, obviously a little later, but um, I started like doing the same thing you're talking about in 2009 and mm-hmm. I've just not, <laughs> you know, I've just not been, you know, the same thing. I've not been able to have a full uh, solar encounter. You know, I've been in the United States or Canada for three months and then Bali for a couple of months, then Europe or Brazil and then back to Australia and then traveling the different states as you would when you're here gigging. And um, and this whole sitting and being for six months now or just over six months in this one place has been actually really like my fetch, my animal soul has been so happy with me. The other parts of this being are a little like, what are you doing? This is not how you do your thing. Um, because usually you're traveling and you're being with all of these people and you're teaching and you're, and you're, you're doing this whole other thing. And, and I'm still doing that. Luckily I started teaching on zoom like six or seven years ago. So this whole zoom thing was super easy for me to transition into, well, not even transition. It's just that everything is there now. But, um, yeah, it's been that heartbreak thing is I recently I've been working a lot with the um the heart broken open mm-hmm. as, as a as a magical kind of talisman or as a magical anchor and that that transmuting of heartbreak into a powerful opportunity to divest and invest in my own unfolding. Um so I'm wondering like how you have with your magic and your music been able to transmute like ten of swords aloneness into like the sun or intemperance or how oh. you've been able to do that that work. Well, my my process has been um, just to dive right in there to like I guess like the album before Persephone, so my second last most recent album was Black Snake, and at that point I'd really found myself in a really dangerously low point. I was suffering terribly from depression. I guess that came out in 2014 and I used to suffer from depression, you know, when I was throughout my 20s and 30s and, you know, and then suddenly I found myself back in that place and it was kind of terrifying and um, for however much we might glamorise and beautify that underworld thing, it can also be very putrid and terrifying and genuinely dangerous. And I found myself in that place. I was, my heart was hurting and... I felt stripped back. I felt bereft. And I thought all I can do then is is either I survive this or I don't. And the only tools that I had were, again, my music, my magic and Mother Nature. And so that's when I, I um, this was before I was living in New Mexico, I just um, went on a retreat here to, by myself. I, I just, it was essentially a cabin in the middle of freaking nowhere. and. Um, I hiked every day. It was the big, beautiful, wide, high desert mesas and rocks and tarantulas and storms and beautiful. And um, and went in as deep as I could. And any time I felt myself resisting against, like, neatening things up, um, resisting against going to those shameful and putrid parts of myself, the, the the really genuine shadow stuff where I the bits of myself I didn't like when I found myself resisting 
going there in my writing. I just made myself and it was so painful. It was so painful. Some of the songs on that album, it was like I just had my heart ripped out of my chest and was holding it and trying to deal with it. But that was what healed me for that round anyway, you know. <laughs> and um, and so I think it's about, and I think this is where magic ritual, our, our spiritual paths can offer that kind of support, especially a pagan spiritual path because descent is built into the philosophy of it. So rather than being this alien thing, God, why have you forsaken me? I'm having a rotten time. What have I done wrong to deserve this? It's more like I'm with the crone right now. I'm doing the deep work right now. Yes, it doesn't, doesn't mean it's less painful. It just gives it more, more presence. So there's that. I also make real actual changes in my life if it's not working out for me. Like when I first moved to America, that was 2014, and I kind of had to make a choice, either Australia or America, because I was married to Tim, he's American, and I wanted to work in America and my work visa was about to run out. So I had to make a choice that was that allowed us the flexibility, you know. So went ahead and got the green card, which was its own trial by fire, doing all that thing. Um, so then we moved to Portland, Oregon, which didn't resonate with me at all. I, I thought it would, and I found myself in a big, groovy city, and no matter what I did, I couldn't get my feet. I couldn't find my way there. It just I just kept feeling lonely and thinking, why did I leave all my family and, and loved ones to be in another big city? So then, again, I found myself falling in a heap and just said to Tim, I got to, we got to get out of here. This isn't, this is not good. And so very kindly, you know, he went with what was my, my first choice and his second choice, which was to move to New Mexico, which is where he's originally from. So to make those actual positive choices. And I feel at that threshold now, I feel like living here in the city in Santa Fe, I've had enough of being in the city now and I need to make the next choice of being in the wilderness of New Mexico. And, um, I feel on that threshold now, of course, I just have to bide my time during this crazy, bide my time for another year, I think, you know. But I think it's an, a mixture of doing our deep magical work and then not just thinking that doing a meditation or a ritual is enough. We need to actually put our actions behind that. The, the meditations and rituals will clarify for us what we need to do and then we need to do it. Yeah, that's that's true. That is, that is absolutely true. I think for me, one of the most amazing things about the craft and why I philosophically align with it is that there is no savior. <laughs> like exactly. I, like the gods that I am covenanted with or that you work with, like we, like, at least for me, I don't expect them to save me from anything. Um, no. but they, but they do help clarify. Sometimes they turn up in quite miraculous ways. Um, and I feel their love and I also feel their, their, their their challenge um yeah. you know and so as a witch i'm just not into this idea that i need to be coddled even <laughs> when i want to be coddled and 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 i love that my gods and that the ethos of the craft and that the philosophy of you know different forms of mysticism and paganism that i really love are all about this as you said presencing the mystery and yeah. and being able to drink deep of our own 
I guess, our own courage and our own brokenness, which is also sacred. Like the fact that it's all sacred and it doesn't Mm -hmm. make it easy or fine or fluffy or cool or good, but it is sacred and it's worthy of our attention. Um, That's beautiful put. Yeah. And I think, sorry, you go ahead. No, no, you go for it. Get excited with ideas. Yeah, go for it. You put that so well. I think that that's one of the other things that's been consistent throughout my music, right from the release of my first album, you know, back in 96, is that I've I've always been very, very willing to wear my heart on my sleeve, very willing to be honest about the process, not pretend that I'm always always up and um, that everything's always great. Sometimes we all go through really crappy times and I feel like one of the things that I so love about my beautiful fan base, my community, is that I I can be very honest about those times and say this is what this is what's happening for me now and feel that I can safely um, express my genuine self and be held in that space, that it's not expected that I should always be at my absolute best, that um, all that we can be is honest and, like you say, hold those processes as sacred, however difficult they may be. And, yeah. So just before um, I got on this, this, this call with you, I was actually at Paper Moon where you where where you where you perform when you're in Brisbane sometimes and I um I live right near it <laughs> and the last time I saw you in the flesh you were um singing songs from that profoundly beautiful Persephone album that you mentioned mm-hmm. and like Persephone is my is my queen is my soul goddess so so that to me I was so excited when you had well you for, for years you were talking about this work and yeah. and and I would love to see it one day completely staged, like you know, like theatrically and 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 ritualistically, because it it deserves that gravitas and it deserves that um, that that I don't know sacred theatre. Um, how how and that was your last studio album, right? The Persephone. Yeah. Album. So yeah. how has it been to to release that finally in that form um, and to like what are some of the magical or emotional ripples of that? Well, what happened, one would think when you'd been working on a project for 12 years that you'd go, oh, thank goodness, I'm really ready to let go of this theme that I've been obsessed with. But in fact, I went the opposite way. I became more obsessed. And so now I'm writing a book about the whole Persephone journey. So, yeah, I'm um, eight chapters in. Yay! Yeah, it's a chapter for each of the 24 songs on the album plus the various intro and outro chapters. And... um, it's kind of like a, a mixture of autobiography, deeply researched mythology and history, and travel journal because I've I've gone to all these places that are the, you know, one of my heartbreaks this year actually was I had a I had a beautifully mapped out tour for May in um, Sicily to go to all the places associated with Persephone in Sicily. So that went down the tube, of course. But next year it'll be there. So, yeah, what I've, um, I listen to that album now and think, wow, I was able to channel into that album the essence of what the, the mythology, you know, is about without, of course, I'd done a lot of research before writing the album and I did a lot of research with my friend Elisa Goodrich together in preparation for that. 
But after, I also didn't want it to necessarily be, I wanted the album to be primarily an emotional journey, to explore primarily the relationship of the mother and daughter and that, you know, I identified with Persephone when I was growing up, had a difficult time with my mum, et cetera, et cetera, and then how that's tra- how that transformation has happened now that I am in a way more like Demeter going through my Persephone. And then you realise then they're one and the same, you know, they're both the same. So, yeah, I've now um, obsessively just been reading deeply and, you know, following that wonderful thread that research gives you, like I just wrote a chapter on um, the qualities of the maiden, you know, we were, we were meeting that corresponded to my song Flowers where Persephone's picking flowers in the meadow and before at the edge of her abduction by Hades. So I began, you know, researching about that and it leads me to this and that and then I'm thinking, well, what was it to be a maiden in ancient Greece or what was it to be a woman in ancient Greece and learn, what are the marriage customs and it's just been absolutely fascinating. So each chapter is much more slow going, but I just figure that I, you know, that I would have thought it might have been. I thought I'd just kind of jot down my feelings about things. But in fact, I want it to be this really very interesting read of uh, that weaves through, weaves together my personal story with each of the chapters. Why I why I chose that aspect of the myth to explore and not that on the record. Yeah, so um, I guess during the creation of Persephone, I gained a lot more empathy for Demeter. When I first began writing that album 12 years ago, more than that, 14 now, um, it was Persephone all the way, you know, it's like the beautiful underworld queen, la, 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 and Demeter was almost like an aside, yes, yes, the golden mother of the grain, okay. And now it's like I just have so much empathy for her and her journey, her underworld journey, even though it's on the surface of earth, her grief and sorrow. And, yeah, so we'll see. We'll see what happens with that book. It will be called um, Persephone, A Mythic Journey. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And also so satisfying to me as a, as a devotee of her because there aren't, and as an author, because I, I, I have been, you know, to be, I've shared this a few times on this podcast now, I have been wrestling with the somethingness of a book for several years now and, and feeling so blocked and not being able to write. So basically I've just thrown myself into my other work, which is like teaching and mentoring work, which also satisfies me, but it's, it, hits, it hits a different place. Um, yeah. And I haven't written a book on my own since since 2011 mm-hmm. um, and I've had other books come out but they've been with my friend Jane Meredith and and I just feel like there is a part of me that's lost and transforming um, and one of, one of the things at the back of my mind always is oh I, f- I should finally write that book on Persephone but you know but I don't but hearing you talk it's like I don't have to like <laughs> the, and but the thing is is that with mythology your book on Persephone I know fascinating to me and my book will be to you yeah. because mythology is multi is, is multifaceted. Right. Your right. your take is going to be completely your own and yeah. I would like to read that please. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> one day. But it is satisfying to me too because there aren't many in the well there aren't many books about her like like that are devoted to well not just to her because you mentioned how crucial Demeter is but like yeah. when I look at the plethora of books on the Morrigan or Hecate yeah. or Bridget I'm like you know 
there's this other goddess, because I love all of you too, but there's this other goddess who's really special. And, and, and pagans like to reference her a lot, but I also noticed that it's so, at least to me, it's really surface level. Oh, she rises, she descends. Oh, she's taken, la, la, la. And I'm like, but there's a whole other thing going on there. And she had an entire mystery cult for thousands of years. Exactly. And, as you, and as you were mentioning Sicily, that, you know, it was in Alexandria in Egypt. It was in Sicily exactly. in Italy. Like it was, it was in England. Like, it was in now Turkey. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I just am like, that's profound and what we know of the Eleusinian mysteries is is actually profound and even just being with the gaps is also profound yes and so I'm super you know I went to Eleusis once and I just I I I nearly lost the plot because we got there just as it was closing and I must have looked distraught to the woman behind the counter and I and I was like can I please go in and she was like yes you have 20 minutes and so I got I got to be in there alone wow like everyone else was gone and I, yeah. and, and, and she went, yes. Cause I, I think I was probably crying, but, but I, I went in and I remember I got to the cave that they say, this is the cave where Hades took her. Where it happened. Yeah. And I went, what? And I could, and I could feel the resonance of the eons and yeah. I, and this is the well that Demeter grieved at. And I, and, it's got yeah. a sign, Demeter sat grieving. Exactly. Like, okay. Yeah profound and I, i'm sure you've been there like been there a how, few times. how was it how is that place for you it's amazing um yeah i've uh uh i think this just like you said that seeing the first time i went i think the well was the one that really did it to me the most where there's literally a sign there that says you know well of the maidens or well, well of the fair dancers is the other one um this is where Demet, the goddess Demeter sat while grieving her daughter. And I'm just, I cried. I'm like, wow, it felt like I'd reached Mecca or something for me. It was, it was, yeah, incredible. Yeah. And also, you know, this is the interesting thing too that, um, you know, I, my Persephone project with Elisa, the album, stagnated for a long time. Mm. We, we, in 2008, we put together like what we called a showing, a theatrical, because initially it was conceived as a theatre show. Mm. And then we just couldn't get funding and no one could see our witchy vision. And mm. so then when it just, I felt like I had been, I was feeling creatively strangled and um, uh, that I, there was just this, that's actually, it was that that kind of, and I had another project with someone else, another collaborative project that was stalling and I felt incredibly creatively blocked and that's what's sent me plummeting into that severe depression that mm. preempted the Black Snake album. And um, so, yeah, when Persephone just kept getting blocked and blocked and blocked, I just thought, oh, fuck it, I'll just write my own album. So I quickly went and did Black Snake, you know, and did this big thing yeah. and it me up. And then I just, I spoke to Elise and said, you know what, I've just got to take this project and run with it. Yeah. I've just got to go. I've got to go to Greece because I had never been to Greece. Mm. No wonder the pr project was blocked. I sure. needed to go to the land of, imagine trying to do a project about um, Indigenous Australian mythology, the Rainbow Serpent, without mm. ever having having been in Australia. It, yeah, it, it would, would be, be very bad. wrong. <laughs> yeah. So I had to go to, I, you know, I had to do my, my pilgrimage and then it all just began clicking. It just yeah. all began falling into place the songs came tumbling out yeah and yeah so I've been to Eleusis a number of times now um and also other 
like the Necromantion on the west coast of Greece, which is that was a real obscure one to get to. And um, and yeah, I don't I don't know about that. Can you tell oh, us about that? You would love it. We should meet up in Greece. And yes. Well, you, yes. You, you you talking about because I've always wanted to go to Sicily for to see all these these shrines and ruins. Yes. Uh, I want to go there. Let's go. <laughs> um, but so, Tia, yes. tell, tell me about some of the other sites that you went to as well. That I'm super interested. Okay. So the Necromantion is um, a temple uh, in honor of. Um, Hades and Persephone. So some see it, it was regarded as a gateway to the underworld and it's most likely what was being referenced to when Circe sent Odysseus to the underworld, um, that that's essentially where, where he went, the gateway to the underworld. So what it is now is a rather obscure ruin with doesn't look like much. Of course, there's a Byzantine church on top of the, you know, as they've done, but so on the surface, it just has that look of many kind of modern Greek well, Greek ruins as they are in contemporary times, where there's some stones here and there and some pathways, but there's not amazing columns or anything. But then you get to a section and you go down a little ladder and you are in a vaulted room um, a couple of thousand years old, which was a temple for Hades and Persephone underground it, and and etched into the back of the wall very faintly you can see a labyrinth etched into it too it's oh, just incredible. wow that is I incredible did, you know, theo if you go to my youtube channel mm-hmm. um which is just at wendy rule um there's i did some rough footage there that we're still intending to turn into a film clip but mm. i just put the song underworld from my persephone album behind it and you can see it so, um, wow, okay. yeah, it's amazing. So I went there and, um, I had a really amazing experience because I don't know if you, if you know, but I've been learning Greek for yeah, I do know that, yeah. this time. Yeah. I yeah. went to Greece. So I, I was traveling by myself and it was the off season. It was actually, I went to the Necromantion on the dark moon in Scorpio, <laughs> Scorpio dark moon. Of course I did. That's yeah. like, that's the day. Wasn't it, it was kind of like, I knew I'd be traveling in Scorpio season, but when I worked out, oh, my God, that is the dark moon. It's like, that's perfect. Yeah. Well, I was staying in a little seaside village that had pretty much shut down for the season, as many villages do. In you know, So there was really only a handful of locals around. And each morning I'd walk down and I'd have my coffee at the local, you know, cafeteria on the, on the little, you know, tiny little village on the little port thing, pier. And there's an old guy sitting there. And so I said, Kalimera and good morning. And he's like, why are you speaking Greek? And I'm like, oh, I'm learning. He's like, come and have a coffee with me. I'm like, okay. So um, we kind of have this conversation, half Greek and half English. My Greek, you know, still is very limping and it was even more so back then. And um, he's like, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, I'm here to see the Necromantion. And he's like, oh, right, yes. Persephone and I'm like Mm. yes 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 but of course a lot of the old people in Greece are very um orthodox Christians Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I don't want to just go out there making a fuss and offending people I want to have conversations exactly I don't want to just shut it down by going well I'm a witch so that's why I'm because it's like what's the point in that yeah so gently gently I said oh yes you know I'm a musician I made an album about Persephone and 
he starts talking and suddenly goes, well, now they've put a Christian church on top of it. Oh, they've ruined it. And I'm like, oh, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) And then talking more and he goes, well, I'm Charon. And I'm like, what do you mean you're Charon? He's like, I'm the ferryman. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, he's really old. He's like in his 80s. He goes, for 20 years I ferried people up and tourists up and down the River Styx, which is actually the Acheron now, Acheron. Mm -hmm. But I ferried people up and down the River Styx. And when I was, um, just to backtrack, when I went to the, I'd gone to the Necromantion the previous day Mm -hmm. and I'd wanted to put a copy of Persephone as an offering down there, but there was a guard kind of, he's like, oh, we've got one here, Mm -hmm. kept an eye on me the whole time, so I couldn't really do it. So I had a copy of Persephone with me at the cafe. And so I thought, well, yep. I'll give it to Charon, the messenger. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that's so perfect. Um, but I thought, wow, that's just mythology. That's how mythology comes to life. And also how you've got to make it living. And, yeah, yeah. it's about totally being there, present, and being willing to say, sure, I'll have a coffee with this strange old Greek guy. Why yeah, not? totally. I was, on, I was only in Greece for two weeks, and this was in 2008, um, and it was on the end of eight weeks of pilgrimaging through Britain and Ireland and Scotland. <laughs> and we were just fucking floored. And by the time we got there, we were so ecstatic. Like, we were so in another realm, um, the three people I was traveling with, um, <clears throat> that Greece just synchronistically ate us and you know and so there was this we were in Mykonos for a few days and I remember I we were walking through this just kind of like cobbled stone labyrinthine you know market area and one night we walked into this store and this woman was just kind of you know looking at something on the wall and she was the owner of the stall and 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 my friends and I just kept looking at all the images of the gods and like talking about them oh look it's Dionysus oh it's Artemis and she went you know the gods and we were like yeah. And she, she closed the shop door. She went up, she wow. closed the shop door and she went, these are the antiquities. She used that word antiquities. And then she just started rabbiting on about the ball. And we were like, Oh my God, literally. And it was just, she just was so passionate about it. And yeah. I could, I could tell that I know there's a move. I know there has been a movement for decades there to revive the traditional yeah. faith. Volga, they call it. The yeah. Volga. Well, yeah. Beautiful. And I just, and I know that so many people, whether they're connected to those movements or not, love the gods there. And yeah, they, and it just fascinated me because I had assumed that there were many of the older folk were going to be really religiously bound to Orthodox Christianity. But I got this other sense that, yes, that's true. And so we never, like when I'm in other pla- places, I don't say anything about being a witch because I want to be safe and I don't want to offend, like you said. Um, but but I did notice this love and, and it brought me great joy. Yeah. You know, like when I'm in Ireland and I get to hear old people talk about the, the mythology of the Tua de Danan and the she, like they love it <laughs> and, and, and they're terrified of it, but, they, but there's this deep primal respect. There really is. Yeah, um, yeah it's fascinating. And I, I find that now if I'm subtle, I find those people who are, who are, um, open to the to the old gods in in Greece now. You know, I um, even if it's not that they're following the movement, definitely they know their stuff. Like you have a, a, a conversation just with whoever, and they certainly know all the mythology, which is wonderful. But um, 
yeah, it's uh, you can feel how that pulse is just is just there. And you know, I've been to other temples like a temple of um, Demeter on um, Naxos, and um, but some of the temples, and even discovering like things like the um, the place called the Keramikos Cemetery in Athens which is really worth looking at. Again, it's just right in the heart of Athens, kind of near Monasteraki Square, sort of around that way, and um, a few minutes' walk from there. And it's where the, it's not an obvious one, but, of course, it's it's a cemetery, so I want to go there, the ancient cemetery. It's now set up as a, you know, as a um, museum site. But it's where the procession started to when, when they went to, you know, Eleusis, that's where the the 20-kilometre, 14-mile walk kind of began from and then finding other obscure little things like that you can only really find from being there, this, yeah, yeah, this a little sign that will say, that will reference something. It's like, oh, wow, that's actually where the grain was stored at the base of the Acropolis or where the ritual tools were Mm. for that sacred walk. So a lot of things that don't seem impressive it's it's more just location. But it's yeah. like this is where it happened, and also like other things that, like going to say um, Delphi, mm-hmm. I would that was like I'm just going to go there because I want to go there and explore. Sure, I want to go to this place. But then I realise I in being there that oh this was actually a Mother Earth temple, mm. and now I'm weaving that into the book of like what is the omphalos of the world and how yeah. is Demi related to Gaia and you know all that kind of stuff. So. Mm. I don't know. I just love exploring. I can't help myself. I just love it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's amazing. And 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 by the sounds of it, and from what I've heard you say before, you have been in love with Greek mythology since being a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. 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 So we're coming to the end of our our talk, but like what? So this is where I usually say to guests, "Spruik yourself, spruik yourself." Um, so how can how can people listening access access all your gifts and offerings, and and how okay. can we and how can we support you in these times? Well, you know the thing that I'm doing at the moment that luckily, like you ha- like you were already familiar with Zoom, I'd already set up my Patreon stuff and had been doing that for a good year before the pandemic hit. And Patreon for me is the perfect vehicle for sharing what I do. I do a monthly, um, for one thing, I like community. I like being able to talk directly to to people and for them to be able to write to me and maybe be able to write back. I like direct community. Um, so I do a monthly Full Moon Magic concert and I um, upload that and it's all themed around the astrological sign of the full moon. So I just did my Aries Full Moon concert. Usually it's here at my home in um New Mexico. Last year, the Aries full moon was from Corfu. This year, I recorded it um, on a property in the wilderness in Jemez Springs in New Mexico against rugged red backdrops. Anyway, so Patreon's the way to go. You can join for two USD a month, and then there's different tiers that give you different things booklets, dark moon meditations, la la la. So, my Patreon, you can join from my website, which is wendyrule.com. It's got links there, but essentially, it's patreon.com forward slash Wendy Rule. All my music you can find on Bandcamp. So just go to Bandcamp and do a search or you can link through from my website. Um, Of course, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. And, um, yeah, so I think 
But I think if you're going to try one thing to get to know what I do, do the Patreon. Give it a shot for a month. It's only two bucks, or you know, which works out about what three dollars something in Australian dollars. And um, if you don't like it, you don't like it. But it's that's what is honestly during this time. If not for my patrons, I wouldn't have been able to pay the rent. So, you know, when every gig I had this year got got cancelled. So, Patreon, my website. Instagram, you'll find me there. Um, and then I've got this very special concert coming up. Shall I tell about my concert now? Yes, yes, please. Okay. I've got a concert coming up on, um, well, for Australia, it'll be October 11th, but I'm, re- I'm doing live streaming here in Santa Fe um, at, on next Saturday, September, sorry, October 10th. God, October already. October 10th. And that will translate to October 11th for Australia. Uh, the It's on the front page of my website, all the details. It's live streamed and you can get tickets from as low as five USD. And the whole point of this fundraiser concert is I have to get back to Australia because um, my dad got da- diagnosed with stage four cancer, which is just freaking horrific, as you can imagine. And um I know that those folks who are listening who are in Australia know this, but a lot of the rest of you mightn't, that Australia, it's very hard even for citizens to get back to Australia now because the government has put a very strict flight cap because Australia's COVID numbers are so low, um, a flight cap on incoming arrivals, even if you're a citizen because you have to go into a mandatory hotel quarantine. So what's happened is that the... Um, airlines now who can only have, you know, about 30 people per flight are prioritising business class passengers. I tried booking an economy class fare and, of course, it just got cancelled on me, like the 30,000 Australians who are stranded overseas at the moment are going through. So it's a totally crapo situation and then we have to pay $3,000 for the privilege of being locked in a hotel room for two weeks. So I need your help essentially, is where it's at, especially after this year when most of my work was lost. So you'll find that info on the front page of my website, Mm -hmm. wendyhall.com, and there's a Facebook event page. It says help Wendy get back to Australia or something like that. And then I'm going to be in Australia for – I was looking forward to the winter here because I love the winter. It gets snow. New Mexico winter is stunning. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, but now I'm going to be in Australia for a good few months and go and mm. stay with my dad. He's down Geelong way. Yeah. And spend some real quality time with him. So yeah. help out where I can. And, um, I mean, it was kind of like a great big punch in the stomach when I got this news. Yeah. Um, and trying to deal with that, I fell, of course, into an immediate grief. But that's just how it goes and I want to be there. I've got excellent sisters who are, you know, holding the fort now, but I want to do my bit and hang out with my dad while I've still mm. got him. Mm. So fundraiser concert, and you'll see all the details on the front of my website. Thank you so much. I'm so sorry to hear about that. That does sound yeah, like a huge punch. I know Australia is always so happy to receive you back. <laughs> um, and I, I think maybe, you know, like my intuitive like sensation when you speak is that, that, that it's going to be good for you too, to, to be here, you know, to be in, in that, in the land where you grew up or near your family. And Yeah. I've been missing Australia on a very visceral level. 
like I love New Mexico and I, and, mm. I, and I do have beautiful wilderness here, but I've been also like witnessing all my family, especially my son Reuben, having mm. to go through the East Melbourne lockdown. Mm. Um, it, it was very sad, you know, but I've been missing the, the smell of eucalyptus trees, the, the crunch of dry gum leaves, the, the cockatoos, the yeah. blue tongue lizards, you know, the, yeah. the land itself I've been missing. And, I, you know, I had planned I was going to be going to Australia twice this year in August and again in October. Yeah. So, um, you know, to me this is a long, this is probably the longest I've been away from yeah. Australia I was ever. Ah, well, as Brody Ann would say, who is always with me except couldn't make it today, she would say we're very lucky to be living in this ancient, ancient land. And um, I, you know, I do, I feel lucky all the time. You know, I, I, I grew up in Toowoomba, born in Bali, kind of have lived everywhere ever since. But like, I just feel that this ancient continent, which is home to like, I don't know, 300 cultures is just mm-hmm. profound and, and, you know, complicated history and complicated current situation and mm-hmm. always always beautiful and always profound yeah yeah I think it will be very reviving for my soul I really do and um I'm super looking forward to it and it's going to be nice to just to yeah to hang out to get real a, a big slab of time with all my Aussie friends and mm-hmm. I'm hoping by by next year I, I really do want to make it up to Brisbane too I think at the end of I, at the moment my ticket is home is booked for March 3rd but oh wow yeah, so, you know, it's going to be, that's like three and a half months, but mm. I'm more than happy to stay a bit longer. If, yeah. you know, it depends how things go with Dad. Yeah. If he's still looking kind of chipper, I'll come back to us, to America for a couple of months and if yeah. things are looking grim, I'll just stay on. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you so much. It's been such a joy, such a joy to listen <laughs> to you. Your, I, your scorpionic vibration always makes me feel so alive. So, so thank you so much. And, um, yeah, this this is going to be great. Ah, oh, much love to you, Wendy. Much love to you, Phil. I miss you. I miss you too. I want to go to Sicily with you. <laughs> I can do this. Yeah, I'm into it. And Greece as well could be really fun. Let's see if our paths can meet. Yeah. yeah okay. Thank you so much. This has been the Antipodean Arts Podcast. Music by Wendy Rule. The song is Wolf Sky. <laughs> <laughs>